weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. In a world that seems to be spiraling out of control, in a world where we seem to have no power, we feel helpless and sometimes hopeless. Flowers, flowers for peace, are becoming a worldwide movement. What does this mean? Well, to the Ukrainian people in this enormous struggle, which is unfolding by the day, it's partly about flowers for peace, the sunflower, the national flower of Ukraine. That's what started this support, these images all over social media, all over the internet. How do we interpret the blue and yellow? These are the colors of the Ukrainian flag. These are also part of sunflowers. It's a fascinating story, fascinating reasons, and it's got power. So come join me today, 2 o'clock, right now, and you're going to hear the rest of this story. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. Well, this time of year, there are a lot of holidays that have a lot of goodies. One is a Jewish holiday um, called Purim, and it commemorates the saving of the Jewish people from Haman, who is a Persian Empire officer, official, and he was planning to kill all the Jews in the empire. And that is part of the book of Esther. And it goes back to the 5th century. And there is a bakery food. It's called Hamantaschen. And there are a lot of bakeries in our area that celebrate this. When I was a little kid growing up, they used to say it was like Haman's ears. Purim begins on March 16th. And I'm going to give you a couple of bakeries that you might want to try, and then I'll take you to St. Patrick's Day. But Bread's Bakery is famous for their chocolate babka. They're at Union Square, Bryant Park, Lincoln Center, and the Upper East Side. You can just go to breadsbakery.com, and they're really delicious. They have apple and chocolate, poppy, and my favorite is apricot. And then they have a non-traditional savory pizza Hamantaschen made with mozzarella, parmesan, and walnut pesto. So come into breadsbakery.com, go online, or go on to goldbelly.com. And Orwash's is a bakery I love. It was one of the first bakeries when I moved to the city that I found. They were famous and still are for their breads. They had wood-burning ovens at their location at 308 East 78th Street. And not that long ago, they opened on the Upper West Side, Amsterdam Avenue at 81st Street. Their rye breads, their potato bread, their breads are out of this world. But they have for Purim this year, Hamantaschen too, on chocolate and raspberry, prune, poppy, apricot. They come in small, mini, or large. And you can get a box of five, you can get a half a box of a half a pound of smaller ones, and it's really good. Go to Orwasha, O-R-W-A-S-H-E-R-S dot com. A famous bakery on the Upper East Side, 1100 Madison Avenue, is William Greenberg. And they're famous for their amazing cakes, their black and white cookies, their pies, and, of course, they're selling large and small, hamantaschen with prune apricot, cherry, or poppy seed. Go on to WM Greenberg, G-R-E-E-N-B-E-R-G, desserts.com. And then in Brooklyn, Green's Bakery on Franklin Avenue, known again for chocolate babka. And in fact, Serious Eats called it the best traditional babka in New York City. Go buy your hamantaschen there. They have all kinds of sizes, and they're great. Greensbopka.com will give you all the information. Then on March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, and you can get your corned beef and cabbage. In fact, I noticed that the markets are already selling the corned beef, and I must confess, 
I love homemade corned beef. I make it every year for the holiday. And you can buy Frylicks and just bring it home. And you put it in water with bay leaf and cloves and onions and a garlic. And I, the secret, when I was growing up, my mom used to make it. And she would change the water all the time. She said it would take out the salt. And it's really good. And, of course, we love soda bread. One of the best, Balthazar Bakery. Go on to balthazarbakery.com. And I go to, I always thought it was a factory outlet. It's on South Dean Street in Anglewood, New Jersey. And there, the main distributor and bakery for the famous Balthazar in New York City. And call them. They'll be selling their Irish soda bread starting on March 11th. Truly a delicious bread. Everything they make is wonderful. But this is great. Just do BalthazarBakery.com or 201-503-9717. They don't deliver, but you can pick it up. And Silver Moon Bakery on Broadway and 105th Street has all kinds of breads, cakes, French pastries. They get great reviews. And they have soda breads, Irish tea biscuits, shamrock cookies, Irish whiskey tarts. You can get a pair of homemade Irish soda breads for $15. And you can order them online for delivery, silvermoonbakery.com. One of our famous bakeries, Amy's Bread, does, again, handmade, delicious Irish soda bread. And a lot of you know that bakery. Hard to resist it. So these are just a couple of thoughts for the holidays ahead. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone. Joan Hamburg, and I'm happy to have you with us today. I want you to meet an old friend of mine. I first met Jill Brooke when she was covering our industry for the New York Post. And Jill was a former CNN correspondent, editor-in-chief of Avenue and Travel Savvy Magazine. She's written articles, books, editorial director of um, FPD. And I'm going to let Jill explain, flowerpowerdaily.com. And she's also the floral editor for Aspire Design and Home Magazine and contributes to so many different things, including um, Flower Review. So I want you to meet Jill because we're at a very unusual time when it comes to flowers. And Flowers for Peace is suddenly becoming a worldwide movement, or maybe it's always been involved, and we just haven't paid enough attention. Thank you, Jill. And you're in an amazing industry at an amazing time. Well, you want to know what? Flowers have always planted a seed for possibility throughout history. And what we're seeing right now especially is how the sunflower has become a symbol of hope and connects everyone to the Ukraine. And the reason is, is that it's their national flower. But what most people don't realize about the sunflower, which is one of those flowers that symbolize hope throughout history, but what we don't realize about this particular movement is that the sunflower um, became the Ukrainian national flower because of North America, because of us. Because in the 1980s, somebody from the Ukraine brought some seeds back to the Ukraine. And because of the Orthodox Church during Lent um, banning butter, they started using sunflower oil to cook. And they loved the flowers. They loved the sunflower oil. And it took off fields of sunflowers, you know, dominated the landscape of the Ukraine. It became a cultural flower for them. And now they were, prior to this horrible war, though it is a David and Goliath story, um, that it was the largest producer of sunflower seeds and oil. Right. And who knew? And what you're also seeing is people wanting to connect to show support all across the world. And what we've been doing at Flower Power Daily is floral artists around the country and world have been sending us these beautiful, beautiful pieces of art. 
and floral artistry. And not only that, you're also seeing it like with Jill Biden wearing a sunflower right, right. now, if you noticed in the, and Saturday Night Live when, you know, they opened up with a sea of flowers. And flowers have always had great symbolism and relevance, especially for political movements. And mm-hmm. not only for the Ukraine, but guess what? Even for the right to vote in the United States. Does that surprise you? Yeah. Tell me what that means. Well, during um, 1920, Tennessee was the last state to ratify the women's vote, and it was essential. And as you can imagine, because you see where Congress is right now, it was a brawl. So the supporters of the right to vote for women wore yellow roses because yellow stood for hope, and the opponents wore red roses so as soon as somebody would um, support women, they, you know, they would get a yellow rose put on their lapel. And there was this man um, representative named Byrne who was like the vote. And he initially came in wearing a red rose. And it almost wasn't going to be ratified, the right for a woman to vote. But then his mother sent him a note. And she was a voracious reader and, you know, implored him, this is really important and fair. I'm really hoping that you're going to vote to ratify it. And sure enough, because of that letter from his mama coming in to, Hmm. um, you know, that he read, he changed his vote and the right for women to vote got ratified. And you can imagine that it caused a lot of problems initially for him because he was like a freshman congressman. And nonetheless, he did the right thing and didn't mind, you know, the pushback. And then later on, of course, is a hero to Tennessee and basically to all women, all because of how do you show symbolism? And that is what is carried in the flower often throughout history. Um, There's another example, which I'm sure when you see the hybrid roses, that was from the 15th century when you heard the War of the Roses. Well, that phrase actually comes from, you know, the um, back in England, and it was the Lancaster and York, um, you know, fighting, and the way that they made peace because one wore red and one wore white, is they created a hybrid of red and white to say that we can agree to disagree, but we must get along for our survival. And, you know, people don't realize how flowers have been such a symbol throughout history. And now the reason that you see so many hybrid roses in English weddings is back from that particular moment of time. Wow. And because we are watching this horrible situation on television, many of you may have noticed that even some of the women soldiers are wearing sunflowers in their hair or wearing scarves or whatever they can around what their uniforms are in blue and yellow. So more than ever, right? They're so relevant. Well, they are so relevant because, you know, they immediately are symbolic and it creates motivation and hope. And if you think about it, and this is part of the reason I started Flower Power Daily, because we look at how flowers intersect in news stories, pop culture, art, design, food, wellness. Flowers have raised an importance at this moment of time, maybe because of the pandemic. But, you know, as somebody who dives deep into history and loves history like I do, um, you know, you realize that flowers have, you know, are one of the only entities, Joan, that convey both comfort and celebration. And they're really baked into its DNA is so much symbolism and not only that relevant. And I, you see it every day. Like um, most people don't know this, that even um, during Martin Luther King, when he did his march in Selma with John Lewis, well, what happened was is that they had many other, um, you know, marches that, as we know, did not go well, as history knows. But he had this idea that if I wear a Hawaiian lei, and you see all these people going down and marching with flowers. They won't appear menacing. And it's so interesting how so few people ever report on this particular detail, which, of course, I love 
running Flower Power Daily. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, his most successful march that turned the tide of history was when he was wearing those Hawaiian lays Mm -hmm. walking down. And there was a story that I read. I don't remember if you said it, but about a Ukrainian woman who was giving seeds, sunflower seeds, to the Russian soldiers. And she said, take these seeds, because when you die, they're going to grow. And everyone sort of picked up on this story. Was that true? Yes, it was absolutely true. Because, again, sunflower seeds, you know, and sunflowers are, are so iconic for the Ukrainian people. And what she was basically saying is that no matter what you do, I hope when you die, when you get when our soldiers for this good cause, you know, um, knock you down eventually, the seeds will be there. So something so awful that has happened in our land will regrow. And by the way, that's very symbolic to something else that most people don't know about the poppy. Now, we know how the red poppy, for instance, is literally always attached to um, the military remembrance, right? We always see even in England with, you know, the poppy is, you know, such an iconic um, flower. But there's a reason for it. Back in the day when Napoleon raised Europe and all these poor boys didn't have a proper burial, for whatever reason, mysteriously, whatever happened underneath the earth, poppies started growing. And it was and the poppy, which represented obviously the red color, which is blood, the black is darkness. But then the flower represented hope. And for whatever reason, by it growing and that image, it just gave people hope for the future. Now, what often happens with any good movement is that lots of different things have to occur simultaneously, and that's a bit of luck and a bit of destiny. But nonetheless, we can look back and, you know, um, cobble together in a Surat type of way a beautiful story. And it turns out that in World War One, the same thing happened. Um, during, you know, World War One, and you always hear about Flanders Field, that famous, mm-hmm. famous, um, you know, poem. Well, that same thing happened when, you know, the soldiers got killed, poppies grew up, and um, the soldier actually had written about, you know, looking at his friend like the poppy and who had unfortunately been killed. And he actually had, you know, crinkled up this little thing he wrote and threw it out. And as destiny would have it, one of his comrades picked it up and said, this is beautiful, sent it to someone, and then it had a ripple effect, and I guess it, for that version, went viral. And yeah. sure enough, th- that's why we now have the poppy for all military remembrances in the United States, in England, in Canada, and elsewhere. And of course, and now the uh, the blue and yellow, uh, the colors, the sunflowers, we have symbols of resilience, of hope, and all things that we need. But I'm curious, Jill, when I first met you, you were covering radio, TV, a lot of media for The Post. And then you went on to be a correspondent at CNN. You've headed a lot of major magazines. Where did flowers come in? I mean, we know women take a lot of chances and change much more easily than guys. But you've done a lot of different changes, you know, all voluntarily. And I was curious when we heard that you were going into this business. Well, I think that you live life in chapters. And, you know, when you are a sensitive soul like I am, and maybe a little overly sensitive, we all need something in our toolbox that just immediately gives us comfort. And for me, that has always been flowers. And I think that, you know, other people do different things. So even throughout my whole entire life, I have always loved flowers and the beauty that they bring to my life. And I think also what you realize um, more importantly is that when you live life in chapters, um, you know, one of the things that really bothers me whenever you see all these business people and they always go, oh, just do it, just do it. Well, you know, I was raising a family. And I needed a paycheck. And when you have to go out on your own, it requires um, expense. It also requires what I call a mistake fund because you Mm -hmm. think you're doing the right things. And then all of a sudden you get ripped off here and there. And, 
you know, it requires the opportunity. And I have always loved flowers and dreamt about doing this, but it wasn't until my post-50s that I even had the opportunity to do it. And, you know, it, it means um, making a lot of sacrifices. And therefore, this was the right time to plant these seeds of possibility. And I think that, you know, for your audience out there to just have faith that you really do live life in chapters. And it depends what your measuring stick is. It has to be a different, different things at different times. And I just said, well, if not now, when? And um, luckily, um, you know, people really responded so well because flowers do give comfort and they do inspire. And my journalistic background has allowed me to enter a field that nobody had looked at in the way that I do because I'm a history buff. um, I have an art history degree. So we're looking at it in a very different way, and we get to showcase the most gorgeous photography from around the world that just makes people happy. So the goal here is to give people a burst of positivity and beauty every day. And as I always say, flowers are a universal kiss to remind us that solace and beauty exist. Mm. And that is exactly what flowers do for everyone. And around the globe, Joan, no matter what socioeconomic group you go to, no matter what person you speak to, everybody has the same response to flowers. And it just makes you stop and recognize that there is beauty in the world. And I want to spend the rest of my life now pursuing that and just giving people beauty and joy and as well as wisdom through flowers. Right. And hope, which we need more than ever. Yes, more than ever. Well, I thank you so much, Jill Brooken. You can go on to Jill's website, flowerpowerdaily.com, and become involved in like Jill, I love flowers. I always have them in my house. I have, you know that I have lovely gardens that I've worked on forever, but I can't bear to cut the flowers. Well, what, what, for, what, what do you grow in your garden? I, well, I have, we have to start thinking of spring flowers. Yeah, well, I have a, a wet garden because there's a lot of water on the property, and that's a whole different one. And I have a cutting garden, but you know, I go out and I look at the whole range of wonderful flowers. And I think, you know what? I'm going to leave them where they are and just enjoy them. So flowers are part of so many of our lives. And right now, it's the sunflower that's tying us all to the Ukrainian people. And a very special. And, you know, it's a fall flower usually, but now, you know, there's different demand. And, you know, it's just a symbolism also of yellow and blue. But don't forget that zinnias and dahlias, after you cut them, they grow back more. And in a way, because flowers are so seasonal, it teaches us about the cycle of life. It teaches us also to have patience, which most of us didn't do. And one of the benefits, I think, of the pandemic is it pressed the pause button and made people have a little bit more perspective and recognize their priorities. And so what happens with that is, is that you know that, for instance, you know, spring flowers are like the daffodils. And then in Mm -hmm. June, you have the peonies. And there's a reason for that, because flowers teach us lessons every single day about life. And that's what I love writing about. I thank you so much. Continued success, Jill Brooke. And I look forward to talking to you again. All the best to you and your family. Thank you so much, Jenny. You're welcome, Jill. And you're all listening to WABC, and there's lots more ahead, so stay right here. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. I'm a big Jane Brody fan. So when Jane announced just recently that it was time for her to say goodbye to the personal health column, I was sort of bereft. Jane has been writing this column since 1976. And as I recall, she was a health writer for the Times for almost a decade before that. And the world has changed dramatically in all these years. But many of us relied on Jane's column every week 
whether it was about our diets, whether it was about smoking, mental health, issues that affected us, kids, new advances in surgery. She was there and very practical and reasonable, you know, not yelling and shouting or promise us major cures, telling us the way things should be and the way things are. So this is like not of goodbye, because I'm sure we'll be checking in on Jane, but what is she thinking of? What is it that she would like to do now that the strain of a weekly column is going to be lifted? Welcome to you. Thank you, Joan. It's a pleasure always to talk with you. Even on, you know, I was on your show when my father died in a supermarket in Brooklyn. Oh my! Do I you remember, remember that? that? You ordered a taxi for me and whisked me back to New back to Brooklyn, um, mm. and I was told that he was in the hospital, but actually he was taken to the morgue. So oh. it was it was a very traumatic thing that I never forgot, but. How but, could you forget that? But you were so kind, and you were you, you were you asked you said, "Do you want to leave right now?" And we were in the middle of a conversation, and I said, "No, I will finish this interview. It's not going to make any difference." And and it turned out it wasn't going to make any difference because he had already died. But in any case, mm-hmm. these kinds of incidents really remind me of of how important it is for people to stay in touch with other people and to recognize what the needs are of other people and and to respond accordingly <clears throat> too many i mean one of the things you mentioned when we we talked briefly before the show you mentioned people so many people quitting and and rethinking rethinking their, their lives. lives and and thinking well what do, what do i what do I really want what's really important for me to be doing now and that's part of the issue that so many of us were running around like chickens without heads and focused so hard on 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 the whatever our paycheck was responsible for that we forgot about our connections with other people and how important they are and how important it is to recognize the needs of the of the universe the city you live in the community you live in the state you live in the country you live in and the world we live in and the, the whole controversy now we're having over climate change and how some people don't believe in it and some people resist doing the things that can make a difference. Um, they're not thinking of anything but themselves. They're not thinking beyond the needs of their immediate day. And this is a big, big mistake, and it's a big failing, and I, and I think it accounts for a lot of the tragedies that we are witnessing now. And what I will never understand is the backlash on vaccines. Oh, I mean, who? What kid ever went to school? Us too, without vaccines. That was luckily, thank goodness, yeah, because Joan, we avoided think, hideous diseases. Yes. yes, and one of my one of my high school classmates had polio when he was a little boy, and that kept him from being a super athlete. He was an athlete. But he couldn't be a super athlete like his two older brothers because of polio. Mm. And I remember being lined up to get that vaccine. And Me too. And smallpox and all of those things. And, and people just, they're not thinking. And there's another part of this, though, Joan, that is very, very serious. And that's what I devoted my life to, which was teaching people about science. They don't understand science. I don't know what's wrong with our education system that we raised several generations now without an understanding of the scientific process and what it means and how to interpret it and how to understand it. I mean, I'm not asking people to know, you know, the ele- the, the table of elements or anything of that sort, but basic stuff like where does water go when it when you run it in the sink? I mean, come on. What happens to the garbage you put out on the street? Um, you know, we have so many issues that individuals who are not thinking are responsible for the problems that we're having. And we've got to ch- turn this around. And I, I did my damnedest 
to make this happen on various levels throughout my career. But I, you know, I can't influence the whole whole universe. We've got to start working from the top down. And I think that's what President Biden has been trying to tell Americans. Right. But they're not listening. Not enough no. of them are listening. They've turned it political rather than that's science. Correct. And that's it's, a, it's a very complicated time. And since you started all those years ago, yeah. the entire scientific community has changed and evolved. And yes. I don't know what it's, what, I, what it's going to take for people to just make sense of basic things that can help their lives and their children's lives. You know, one of the things that's most distressing to me right now is that the New York Times had a recent feature on young adults taking up smoking. Yeah. At, in an increased numbers. Not not just not just um whatever that stuff is called that's 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 not a cigarette. Uh oh, not yeah. just not just those guys, but people coming out of a dinner party, a, a restaurant, a theater, or this or that. Lighting it up. Lighting up the minute they get out the door. I mean, what what does it take for people to look at what the evidence is and all the propaganda that we've given them, all the information we've given them, all the stuff, and all of a sudden to start a younger generation taking up this terrible habit? It just absolutely distresses me. You're right. It should. I mean, this is so obvious. And you've also been a huge influencer when it comes to diets. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of changes, but you were right on it. You know, Joan, one of the things, the other thing that distresses me is that no matter what I've said and what anybody has said uh, in the positions of authority and intelligence and research about the ridiculousness of these cockamamie fad diets that people go on. I mean, somebody just tried to get me to taste, have a, a sample of something. Oh, it's, it's, it's good for you. It's a keto thing. I yeah. said, well, what, what makes that good for me? I mean, where do you, where do you get this information from? Um, it's, it's junk. It's still junk. It's still junk food. And, <laughs> And and whether it's keto or paleo or any other kind of thing, you know, a Dr. Oz promoted it. Um, this is all, it's all junk. And the bottom line is that people keep throwing good money after bad uh, on this stuff. And look at the, look what we have in the country in terms of obesity. It's terrifying. And Obesity has been a major risk factor for lots of things for a lot of years. But when COVID came along, it was a major risk factor to die of COVID. And still people kept eating, eating stuff that they shouldn't be eating, eating too much of good stuff, you know, just eating. And instead of going out on the street and just walking to relieve their stress, they, they opened the cupboard and they opened the freezer and they opened right. the refrigerator and, and stuffed themselves. It's it's very 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 disturbing because there what? is yeah. yeah go ahead because no, there's plenty of evidence to show that a normal that normal eating normal food in normal amounts you stay healthy you don't gain extra weight and you feel great uh, I don't know what's better than feeling great as a reward for what you do exactly. And are you concerned at all with this pandemic, which, as someone said, I'm, I don't know what to do anymore. Yeah. Do I wear a mask? I'm scared to go out. I don't want to go into a movie theater. I'm nervous all the time. Yeah. Because for two years, we had to learn a whole new language. And, and mental health, even with the kids, yes. just I, be I, a layperson, I, an issue. Well, I will tell you, I'm much less worried about the children. I see the, I live in a neighborhood with schools and lots of young kids around. And mm -hmm. I, they come down my block on their way to school, on their way home from school, and they're still wearing their masks. They're yeah, wearing their masks true. even after they go out of school in the afternoon. And I'm blown away by, by their responsibility and how careful they are and, and, and how accepting they are of this situation. I'm not saying it's perfect. There's no perfect. 
when, when we're dealing with a pandemic of this nature. I mean, this is a life, world-changing epidemic. This is not something that you can just brush off like a new change in the flu, vaccine, flu virus. This is something that was so, so devastating and so life-changing. But the kids do better than the parents. The kids do better than the grown-ups. They just, you know, they take it in stride. Okay, this is what you have to do. This is what we're going right, to do. to stay well, yeah. Yes. And the, and, jo- and the grown-ups are weighing and measuring. Yes. Is this a Republican plot or a Democratic yes. plot? I mean, they've turned on masks, which if you go to Asia, everyone yeah. wears masks all the That's time. Correct. We don't need a pandemic. Yeah, and, and you know something else, Joan? One of the things that's, that, that has happened with the mask wearing and is that nobody's getting colds and nobody's getting the flu. <laughs> it's, knock on wood. <laughs> it's, it really, but, it, you know, it made a big difference. It just shows you how these kinds of very, very basic measures are protective and I mean, we used to look strangely at, I, I often thought Asian people, I don't know whether they're from Asia or from Asian Americans, but whatever, when I, went, when I was flying around a lot, I saw Asian people in great numbers coming onto airplanes with masks on. Always, and, right. And, and I always think to myself, gee, are they sick? Um, do they have cancer? You know, is there something wrong with them? No, they're just being smart. <laughs> they were just being smart because they were taught that this is how you protect yourself in a in a mass environment where you don't know the rest of the people that you're surrounded by. And um, it, it it was a really interesting observation. Um, now now it's accepted as normal. I mean, New York City has uh, rescinded most much of the mask mandates. And the rest of them are going to fall by the wayside in a week or two. Um, Do you think that's good? Well, I'm saying that there are still going to be a lot of people who will continue to wear masks because Mm -hmm. they realize that it's safer. Uh, I go to the Y every day, and the Y has rescinded its indoor mask mandate, except for people who might be... Have a condition. Yeah, right. But Mm -hmm. an awful lot of people are still wearing their masks in the Y. And that's fine. I mean, I swim, so you don't wear your mask while you're swimming. Um, But I, you know, for the the whole time that this was happening, I was very, very pleased with the kinds of restrictions we had that kept us safe through this whole goddamn pandemic. And it and it's it's not over yet. We don't know yet whether something is going to come in and kick Omicron out of the universe and and, and set, set us up for something else. We don't know that yet. And so it's not it's not a bad idea to stay safe. And especially for people in my age group, I'm 80, um, people in my age group and people who have an underlying disease, like my one of my daughters-in-law has an autoimmune condition. She takes a drug that suppresses the immune system. Uh, this is, it, it just makes sense to be safe. And this gives her an opportunity to do that. Jane Brody has been the personal health columnist for the New York Times since 1976. Jane just announced recently that she's had a great run, but she is saying um, goodbye, farewell uh, to her column. In, do you think now that things are being lifted that COVID is really on the decline or... Is this a pattern when we, you track pandemics? We we don't we don't know. That's the bottom line. We don't know. These viruses are very fickle. They they evolve like everything else evolves, and that's an, another thing people don't understand that science evolves. And they were so critical of the initial um, mistakes that were made about what we should do, what we shouldn't do. I mean, I don't know about you, but we all came home and washed down our groceries. And oh, one of my friends please. quarantined her groceries on the in outside <laughs> on the stoop until they, she felt they were three days gone and the virus would have <laughs> died by then. I mean, we didn't know what this virus, virus was doing at the beginning. And so we had to have crazy, I, not crazy, but 
but unrealistic. Well, they turned out to be unrealistic, but they but we did. They were based on science. They were just not. We just didn't have any evidence of what this virus was going to do and and how to protect against it. Now we have better better ideas, and so people are doing better things. But we don't know whether this virus, because a very large percentage of the of the pop, of the population worldwide is not vaccinated, they are not protected. We don't know if any one of those. It doesn't take but one person to be infected by a virus that decides to mutate in that person and start spreading something that we're all susceptible to. Aye, aye, aye. And I keep thinking when we're looking at a potential major war on television, and I keep thinking, believe it or not, about COVID. That's sort of lost in the shuffle, but there's no mass when you're talking about fighting a war. That's correct. Or... Right. I mean, and what's going to happen there? Europe has plenty of problems in getting vaccine as it is. Yeah. Well, it's not just Europe. It's it's Africa. It's all over it's the everywhere. world. Uh-huh. It's all over the world. There's a very large percentage of the population in the world that is not protected. Uh, so it's very possible that this this miserable virus will decide to mutate. I mean, it doesn't have a mind of its own. As somebody was <laughs> was saying to me, well, the job of a virus is to stay alive. It doesn't want to kill kill people. Uh-huh. It wants to spread. And that's that was an interesting observation because that's exactly what Omicron did. It was less likely to kill people, but it but spread it like everywhere. wildfire. Mm-hmm. I mean, my own grandsons, who were both vaccinated and boosted, all, they got both it. got COVID. And they both mm-hmm. got the Omicron variant after having had the Delta variant, after having all the vaccines. <laughs> but, I mean, fortunately, they did not okay. get very sick. You know, one of them missed Christmas, the Christmas mm. family dinner. Um, the other one almost missed a trip to the Cayman Islands that his parents were taking him on. But fortunately, um, they, recovered. they recovered and they didn't have long COVID, which is another thing we need to remember. It doesn't even, you don't even have to be sick to get long COVID. Even if you didn't ever have symptoms, if you were infected, it's possible to get long COVID. And that's a real devastation. It's, it's not the week that you spent in bed. It's mm-hmm. not the week that you missed, you know, a party or a dinner or a, or a movie or whatever. It's, it's the months and maybe even years uh, of lingering Mm. symptoms that debilitate you and that make it impossible for you to enjoy your life. And Mm. there was one story that really curled my hair, which could use a little more curling. And and that was of a woman in her early forties who had two children and who was a very active person before she got COVID and she ended up with long COVID and was, she was so devastated by this, lingering illness that wasn't getting any better that she killed herself. I mean, that story, that story says a lot. It says a lot. It says that don't dismiss this thing because it's, it's much worse than you think and you never know what it's going to do. So that's, that's the bottom line. You have to be sensible. And I think that's, that's my, my message about everything. It's a, my message about smoking. It's my message about diet. It's my message about exercising. It's, it's, it's a message about becoming a socially active person and caring about the rest of the people as, around you. Um, moderation and sensibility are my, my, my mantras. Yeah, yeah that's, exactly. That's, and don't be so quick to give up the mask. I'm talking to Jane Birdie. When you look back, over all these years of stories, many of them life-changing for many people. Do you have one thing in particular that you look upon as maybe your legacy? Was it covering (laughs) diets or fats in food? Was it smoking? I mean, so many areas. Well, all of these things have been wonderful. And I did, you know, whatever role I played, I, I wrote about every time something came out about a hazard related to smoking. Every time something came out about a way to quit smoking, um, I wrote about it. 
And I even remember writing a story that appeared on page one in the New York Times when the, the public attitude towards smoking started to change and people no longer accepted it as an okay thing to do. It was becoming socially unacceptable. And that pleased me probably more than anything else because then people were much more conscientious about not exposing the the rest of us to this toxic substance. Did your kids pay attention to you or your grandkids? All of them. They okay, listen. I have four grandsons. I have two sons and four grandsons and two daughters-in-law, and they all have very good living habits. And I'm very, very proud of them for that. But they absolutely paid attention. And it was very funny when, one, uh, one day when my grandsons, my grandsons used to, who lived near me used to eat at my house for dinner uh, twice a week. Mm-hmm. And one day they told them, one of them told their mother, I love eating at grandma's. She serves all the food groups. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, oh, okay. <laughs> That's funny. Yes. But what he, didn't real, what he didn't say, what he didn't really know at that point, was that the protein was a low-fat protein. It was a socially responsible protein. Right. The, the carbohydrates were whole grain always. And the so green you didn't... You didn't lecture them. You just fed them delicious, healthy food. Exactly. And to this day, these kids, these kids look fabulous. I mean, they look fabulous. They're graduating from college this May. Oh, those babies. Yes, I know. Time has a way of mm. flying. And, and they work out. I mean, they really, even during the pandemic, they found a place in, in the park where they could ride their bikes to the to this spot and 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 they had some kind of workout equipment that they figured out they they concoct i mean they just didn't sit down and say i can't do this because of the pandemic they just did it they made it happen and they stayed healthy and they and they really um did very well in school even though it was all remote um i I mean i felt bad for them for missing a year and a half of college life right but but, but they never complained they never complained in fact, one of them told me that they they really liked the online lectures because in where they were at least, the lectures were recorded and you could listen to them whenever you wanted to. You and could go back, back and yeah, listen to them again and the slides appeared and you could pause them and write down what was on them. I mean... They were really excited about their online courses. And then they went out in the evening. <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> They're kids. Yes. And, and you'd want them to. Jane, are you thinking of a book? No. I'm not thinking of a book, but it's interesting. I, I was recently um, uh, started to read Anne Blanchett. Blanche, I'm blocking on her name. Uh-huh. <laughs> Patchett. Patch Patchett? Anyway, she she wrote a book during the pandemic um, that she said she couldn't she couldn't get focused on writing a novel. You know, she she's a novelist and she uh-huh. and and she couldn't focus on writing a novel, so she just wrote essays. And that's that gave me a very good idea. Because people have been saying, oh, you should write your memoirs. I don't want to write my memoirs. No. I, I, but I would like to, rec- to write and get down, at least in some form, uh, some of the things that have happened in the course of my life that I found amusing or interesting or informative or what have you. And just sort of a, 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 a book of memorabilia, in a sense, of, of what happened in my life and what influenced how the choices that I made and and how I move forward. Right. And the message and how the message over the years yes. has evolved. That would be a great project. Okay. Thank you so much, Jane Brody. You're We're going to miss John. you a lot. And I look forward to talking to you again. And we'll celebrate the next stage of life. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Ask Joan. 
the mask mandate is um, coming off in many different places. And the question now, more than, oh, I'm so glad I can't breathe in that thing, is when and where should we still wear masks? People are, are literally confused. They don't understand. So the New York Times in the Well column had an interesting article addressing that issue. And of course... We're interested. The mandates are lifting. The infectious rate is falling across the country, but the confusion is bigger than ever. And it's not, as the article says, about the risk and the benefits. It's about the people standing around you. So you have to say, who's vulnerable in my world? Do you have elderly parents? Do you have young children that have not been vaccinated yet? If infection rates are high in your community or you've been everywhere during the Omicron situation, then the Center for Disease Control is recommending masks. And of course, the question, I'm going to be outside, should I wear it? And the Times article said there's very little scientific evidence to show that face coverings offer a lot of protection to outdoor spaces. But if you're at a concert, a sports event, a crowd in a theater, and you're sitting up close where they're breathing on you, singing on you, spitting on you, then maybe you should wear a mask. I've always wondered about supermarkets. And a lot of them still say mask required. I will tell you personally that if I go into a market, I put my mask on, Uh, even in a big store with high ceilings just because there's so many people going in and out, and it's airborne. They claim the risks are low unless you're in a crowded checkout line. All right, but even a big market often has a crowded checkout line. And what about gyms and places like that? Well, people perspire. They're close to you in a gym, and I just think that's a good place to wear a mask and airplanes again. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.